0: Discussing the latest in employment law. It's the Employment Huddle Podcast with Guy Allen and Samantha Turetsky. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next edition of the Employment Huddle Podcast. Samantha, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, Guy?
0: I'm doing well, and I'm extra excited because you're supposed to ask me why am I so excited.
1: Well, you didn't give me a chance. You just were too excited. You kept going.
0: Ask me why I'm so excited.
1: Why are you so excited, Guy?
0: I'll tell you why, Smith. because it's not every day that in our employment world we get a game-changing employment decision that impacts everyone or almost every employer that has employees. And we got this decision, it was last week. The name of it is called McLaren. It's from the uh, M-C-L-A-R-E-N, from the National Labor Relations Board which severely impacts severance agreements that employers give out to their employees. The linchpin of severance agreements, as most employers know, like what you want to accomplish, right? You want to get a general release. So if you didn't want someone severance, you don't want an employee to sue you. You want to get some confidentiality. You don't want to talk about any bad things that may have happened. And you don't want them to disclose the terms of everything. So those are the three things. And now with this decision, two of the three have to be severely modified. So we had to get on a podcast and talk about it. Right, Samantha?
1: Absolutely. I feel like right now is our time to shine as employment lawyers. Everyone is calling and emailing about this decision, what to do, how to, how to go forward. And I just really feel like this is now our time to shine and we're getting the credit we deserve.
0: Finally, right? Finally. So when things like this happen, I like to talk about it, stay in front, let our audience know what's going on and, and talk through it. Because as you said, this is brand new. We don't really know what's going to come of it, but we're going to try to stay out in front of it the best we can. So NLA, NLRA rights in general, right?
1: Right. I we're, feel like this has a lot of layers to it. Um, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with the NLRB, Section 7 rights, so I think we should unpack that for our listeners so everyone's on the same page and we can build on these layers because right. it's pretty complicated. So
0: one you go first? Little explanation of NLRB, NLRA, what the Basically, what this decision does to the rights of rights of employees. That's that's the bottom line. We don't have to over overly complicate things. You know, the NLRA rights, Section Seven rights, uh, are are there to really uh, protect employees and their right to talk about the terms and conditions of their employment with their coworkers, former workers, and really. Uh, you know, the, the, the public at large and and or to assist the NLRB in investigations of uh, policies in, in the workplace. So that's what generally the Section 7 and NLR, NLR, NLRA rights are, uh, are, are about. And every now and then they rear their head in things that employers want to do uh, in the everyday course of business, which makes things complicated. And this is this is one of those things where they took a look at some of our severance agreements. And they said, you know, I think there's some overreaching here, and we're going to stop it. And here's how we're going to stop it in terms of severance agreements, right? And they basically, like I said earlier, said, if you're going to give an employee severance, you cannot condition it upon a very broad confidentiality provision and a very broad non-disparagement provision. It's really got to be limited. And by the way, it's employees, it's non-managerial, non-supervisory employees that this applies to.
1: Right, that's very important.
0: Right, so it's not every employee. It's not your top-level folks. But if if it's non-managerial, non-supervisory, the NLRB says, listen, if you're going to give an employee severance, it's got to be really narrowly tailored. In terms of the confidentiality and the non-disparagement, so in terms of non-disparagement, that's a little bit easier. Like most of our non-disparagement clauses, hey, you can't disparage the company. Period. You can't say anything. It's very, very broad. Now it's got to be really limited to you can't speak untruthfully about a uh, an employer's business, their nice products,
1: products,
0: products, things like that. It's you. Do, it just can't be this broad, far-flung, non-disparagement, you can't say a bad thing about the company ever.
1: Right, and also a lot of um, current severance agreements in terms of non-disparagement say you can't talk bad about the company. It's officers, it's executives, it's subsidiaries, it's associates, where now the NLRB is saying that's too broad, even in, what one, the content of what you can say, but also who you can be limited to. So now it would be limited to just the company, whereas that laundry list of affiliates has to be removed from the new severance agreements.
0: Right, so that's one for sure. So that's the non-disparagement provision, and I think that's the easier of the two
1: to navigate around. Right, and in the decision, the NLRB gives a little bit of a roadmap uh, as to how to tailor the disparagement clauses. Um, because they have previous decisions on these topics, and they outline in those decisions what is appropriate in terms of the non-disparagement clauses. So there is a little bit of a roadmap, and we can navigate our way forward into how to narrowly tailor these provisions.
0: Right. So that's what we're doing with with our clients now is we're looking at their current non-disparagement provisions. We're analyzing the previous board decisions, and we're and we're, we're trying to draft uh, you know the, these. These policies, so uh, that they're compliant. The confidentiality piece is harder. That's really a little bit more of an unknown. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, this—you know—employers would love to not have employees disclose the terms of a severance. That's that's the main thing. But you can't do that anymore. I mean, now now it's fair game that an employee can, uh, you know, disclose the terms of uh, of of a severance agreement. So that that's probably to me. You know the, the the biggest takeaway from it, and also, you know, employers also would like in, in these confidentiality provisions. A lot of them are drafted to say not only can't you disclose the terms, but also anything kind of any of the facts leading up to a severance agreement, or if there's any sort of you know disagreements about policy or claims or things like that. That too is fair game. We we can't we can't limit that. In terms of confidentiality, so we're 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 working through trying to figure out what's the best way to, to narrow these confidentiality provisions and there's not a lot of guidance on it. So we're, we're we're trying to you know work through that you know the best we can.
1: Absolutely, and I think a big question mark now is what happens to other employment agreements? What are we going to see from the NLRB about settlement agreements? Will this continue and bleed into those other agreements?
0: Right. That's my biggest, that's my biggest issue right now, or concern for our employers. So, okay, severance agreement is one thing. You let somebody go. Here's a few weeks' severance. The NLRB ruling applies. No question about it. We have to have a narrow, non-disparagement. We have to have a narrow confidentiality, and you know, we're certainly limited. But what happens if? You don't offer somebody severance at all, as an example, and you get a lawyer's letter that says, so-and-so has been wrongfully terminated for whatever reason. And you say, and you come to an agreement and say, okay, let's resolve this, we'll give you one month's pay. Does that take it outside the terms of the NLRB decision, so we can have our regular standard you know, provisions in there? Or, or not, and, and, and does it matter if you, if, say so you get the lawyer's letter, right? They say, I want two months severance to resolve this case. And you say, I'll give you two months. But I'm not going to call it severance. I'm going to call it a, something else, a bonus, whatever it may be. Just by calling it something else, is, is that going to take it outside the NLRB decision? My guess is probably not. You know, it is what it is. And I, I feel like that would just be too easy of a way to get around get around the, the decision, so I feel like it's going to be kind of one and the same. And, and I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Right. I think this is the biggest conversation going on behind the scenes in our world between employment lawyers and law firms and just meeting of the minds, to trying to uh, decipher what this decision really means. And that's, a, uh, I think, a differing opinion between does this decision automatically apply to employment agreements? such as settlement agreements, because that's just the logical next step, they're all very similar and their concept of them is all the same. No matter what you call it, if the NLRB is trying to protect Section 7 rights, allowing employees to talk about facts, talk about the monetary amount, be able to talk about claims and working conditions with their coworkers. How by just calling it something different, such as a settlement agreement, does that Forgo the purpose of the NLRB's decision,
0: right? I don't think it will. It's too easy of a workaround, yeah. I, so I don't think it will. I think that's the next logical extension for it. But then taking a step further, so that's the like the lawyer's letter example where you're still out, outside of court, trying to resolve it before you know get, it gets publicly filed. But then, if you have a lawsuit and you have a settlement agreement, are those same concepts going to apply, or do you have some more latitude. I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I think just the way this is heading, as long as the composition of the board stays the same, I, I think you're going to see very, very similar, if not identical, limitations on settlement agreements in, in, in court cases. You think so?
1: Right. I think you're. I think you're right. But I think the other side of that is if you read the letters. The plain plain meaning of the McLaren decision, it is written only to be tailored to severance agreements. Right. So is it a fair argument right now for employers to say if if they're in the process of settling cases, whether it's through a lawyers' letter or through a court case, for them to have the position, well, this is a settlement agreement. The NLRB and the decision did not say anything about a settlement agreement. It said severance only. So we were going to keep these provisions in. Does that? I can just imagine that those are conversations that are going on right now between plaintiffs' counsel and defense counsel, trying to settle cases and fighting over these provisions as we speak here today. Right. Of what should they do if they're both in opposition of these views? A plaintiffs' counsel will obviously want to have Section Seven protections and and argue that the NLRB decision in McLaren, applies to settlement agreements today, where an, a defense counsel for an employer will say, well, it doesn't apply yet. We want all of our full provisions. NLRB did not rule on this yet. And I can just imagine these conversations going on right now. And and how do you break through that if, if people are on such polarizing sides of how far does this decision go? Right.
0: And I, I think at the end of the day, it's it comes down to money, right? And, and, and if a... Uh, Plaintiff is suing you, and, 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 and they and get a good settlement and they're in their views and they want their money. They'll be more likely to acquiesce to the employer's view of, hey, we want these broad provisions. But I'll tell you what I would do here. I'll tell you what I would do. If I was the employer, we settled the case, and there was a, that scenario that you just you know, went through, Samantha, about uh, these settlement agreements and, and what clauses should be in there, I would say, listen. We settled the case, you're getting paid. This is, we're going to have the broad provisions in there, but we will craft what we call a disclaimer that says nothing in these settlement agreements can impact your what is meant to impact your uh, NLRA Section 7 rights. I feel like that would be a good compromise for now. That's something that's being thrown around that if you want to be even more aggressive, in your severance agreements, that if you put a provision, a disclaimer clause like that, that maybe you got a shot of of, of having things go, you know, go through. It's definitely not foolproof, it's definitely not the ant like the, the end-all-be-all all answer, certainly in severance agreements. But I think at this stage, if I'm settling a case that's not severance, that's in court, I'm gonna still go for my broad provisions and I'm gonna put a disclaimer. I think that's I, I, would, I think that's where I would land today. It could change, by the way, two hours from now. But right now, if that happens, we'll hop on another podcast. But <laughs> right now, this is where I'm going, I think.
1: Right. And and I agree with you. I think that that is the proper approach. I just think, like you were saying earlier, the next logical step is that we will see a decision come down from the NLRB about settlement agreements, about handbook policies, We'll start to see this trend applied clearly in decisions about other agreements. Right now though, I think it is a fair interpretation to say that this agreement applies this decision applies only to severance agreements.
0: Right. I agree. I agree with that. So that being said, what are our general employer options, right? You have your severance agreement. You're ready to hand it to your employee. But uh oh, this decision came down, what am I gonna do? So, well, the first thing is you can just leave it as is. And if it gets challenged, you know, see what happens. Have a strong severability clause in there, Mm -hmm. uh, which generally means if one clause is stricken because it's unlawful, the rest of the agreement will be upheld. So that's one, you know, one way to do it. Just leave it. Uh, The second way to do it is just if you really want to be sure and you don't care that much about confidentiality or non but just take them out. I just had an issue like that. Uh, you know, with an employer who they were terminating a few uh, lower-level employees, uh, factory level. They really weren't concerned about non-disparagement, even confidentiality. So we just took it out, and it was a it was a no-brainer there. So you could just take it out and and, and go from there. Uh, and, and the third one is is to modify your existing agreements, which is probably the way you should go right now. I mean. Most of our employer clients have some sort of template from us that that we've just used over the years that they use over and over again, uh, and I th- I just think you have to revisit it, and at a bare minimum, you know, put the uh, you know the NLRA disclaimer, you know, in the agreement. I, I think those are those are pretty much your your choices. Leave it as is, take it out, work on a you know modified agreement. I, I think that's uh, that that's probably the way to go. You yeah. those, right. I mean, those are your options. You know, you know, at this point it's certainly worth uh, talking through uh, Definitely. It's, yeah. it's not a one size fits all and every and every separation is different too, right? There might be a, an employee we have super concerned about confidentiality and not disparagement You really want to work hard to grab, you know, bang out that an agreement that you think will be compliant uh with the, you know, with the new, with a new uh, new ruling. But although you may not care as much and it, it it's just not as important.
1: Right, and I, I think it also just depends on how risk-adverse a, a client might be. And like you said, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's very individualized to the workforce, to the employer, to the employee being let go uh, to even get the se- a severance amount. So I, I think it's a very individualized conversation that needs to be had with each uh, employer.
0: So one more thing out you.
1: All right, let's hear it.
0: One more thing. You know, related to this this decision and confidentiality and which is really at the crux of this so in New York when you settle a case specifically our you know our sexual harassment case or even a discrimination case there are certain steps you have to follow in order to keep it confidential if that's what both sides want to do and it's an onerous process basically the plaintiff has to, Agree that it is his or her or their preference to keep the matter confidential. And there's the steps you gotta follow. You have to write, basically call it a 21-day letter, where you have to basically say to the plaintiff, We understand this is your preference uh, to keep this matter confidential, and you put in all the other bells and whistles that need to be there, and you send the letter to them, and they can't sign it for 21 days. It's unlike the age discrimination review period, which is 21 days to review, seven days to revoke. In that circumstance, you can use as little or as much right. as the 21 days. Here, you can, there's, no, there's no wiggle room. They cannot sign it before 21 days. So you have to go this whole process, wait the 21 days, then they got to sign it within seven days. It's a, it's a whole thing to keep it confidential. But it works. Right now, it seems to be working. The question that came to my mind is, all right, well, New York has this whole onerous process about how you keep things confidential. But if this NLRB decision is extended, certainly to settlement agreements, is that going to blow New York's thing, uh, you know process to keep things confidential out of the water? It
1: might. Right. It's a that's an interesting question that you raise, and I think the more that we dig in on this McLaren decision, we're starting to realize it's very far-reaching impacts across employment law, and how it might differ across states, um, and how it might pose. A lot of different red tape and areas to work through for employers,
0: right? I mean, for sure, right? Like right, like anything else, you know. It seems like certainly the employment world has a lot of tentacles to it, and and you know, you don't know what, you know where it's going to end. So the bottom line there is, I think you just got to stay tuned to the employment huddle, and we will stay on it the best we can, and we'll keep as as these decisions arise or law keeps being made, well. We'll just keep everyone updated the best we can. Makes sense to you?
1: It does make sense. I think everyone's just going to have to keep tuning in, and we'll all learn together.
0: Yep, we're in it together for sure. Okay, so one other topic I wanted to talk about today before our water cooler talk, which you know is always my favorite segment, is the whole climate about non compete agreements and, and what's going on in their, in their enforceability, their, the ease of the enforceability or... More accurately stated, how difficult it is to, you know, enforce these agreements, and we're constantly working with our clients, drafting them, making them, you, you know, as uh, narrow as you possibly can. But I don't know how many you've heard, but the FTC is on the rampage to see if to try to eliminate these things, these non-compete agreements altogether. And like always, you know, there, there's certainly some. Uh, dispute as to the applicability of the ban will it be imposed uh, things of that nature so i know samantha you've been following it Uh, what are your thoughts on that
1: so this is something that we've been watching very closely it's something that was very big in the last presidential campaign trail um definitely talked about a lot and has been a biden administration agenda item for quite some time so now like you just said guys the ftc has come out with this proposed rule to ban non-compete agreements um, in in employment. And so right now it's in a period of uh, notice and comment, which is where they give the public notice of this proposed rule, and members of the public can comment on this rule. So right now this period is set to end on March 20th, and to date there's over 8,000 comments. Um, And it's a very interesting process they'll review the comments they they'll respond to comments um they'll use some of these comments to potentially tailor the law or change and redraft the law and the provisions um or sometimes they'll just keep it the same so what's proposed right now is a complete ban on non-compete agreements and this would apply to employees of all levels whether it's your ceo who has all your secret sauce or your lower level uh, employees, which obviously with the caveat being that lower level employees don't usually have these non-competes that we're talking about, um, but it would apply to everyone.
0: Now, so I understand, as currently proposed, it's all non-compete agreements. The question is whether, and I'm sure this is a flurry of the comments, uh, is whether non-solicitation provisions And confidentiality provisions that are often contained uh, in in these types of non-compete agreements will also be included in the ban. Right. So just to be clear, non-compete agreements have a couple of different levels to them. You know, the first is and the most uh, restrictive is, hey, you can't go to work for a competitor. That's an outright non-compete, right? Then the second is, you can't go solicit my employees. The third is. You can't go solicit my clients or my vendors, and the fourth is you got to keep my stuff confidential. I mean, those are the four main buckets. Right. Are, are, are buckets two through four going to be included in the FTC? bit FTC ban ultimately, and that's what we don't know, right?
1: Right, we don't know that for sure yet. We know that this rule bans the non-compete in the traditional sense of you cannot go work for a competitor or maybe these few identified uh, competitors in our space. But the question mark is whether, like you said, does it apply to non-solicitation of employees or um, clients? Does it apply to the confidentiality provisions? Right now, I think the employment world is leaning towards, no, it does not apply to those two through four buckets. To the extent that they do not infringe on the ability to compete in the market. So if you have a non-solicitation that then prevents this former employee from competing in your space, then that non-solicitation might come into play. It's not like employers can get around this potential ban by beefing up their non-solicitation so much that they cannot go work in this space ever again, that wouldn't work.
0: Right. It would make sense to say, all right, fine, I'm going to work for my biggest competitor, but you cannot solicit anybody in the industry, right? <laughs> that, that that wouldn't that obviously, that obviously wouldn't fly. So I, I think everything that I've reviewed, I, mean, I think that's right. I mean, the, the the proposal is certainly just the outright not compete ban. I don't know if it's going to touch upon the non-solicits yet. But they're already hard to enforce in general. We always have to try to keep them as narrow as possible. I think now even more so.
1: Right. And I think anyone who is entering into non-compete agreements um, should really stop and take a look at the agreement that they maybe usually use in their template language and try to get ahead of this so that they know that their non-solicitation provisions and their confidentiality provisions will hold up in court, even if... The non-compete section of it is is no longer um, okay to use.
0: Right. Yeah. We, we just have to be really mindful of the climate that we're in. It was already hard enough to go into court and try to get an injunction or you know a ruling that someone should not go work for a competitor or even solicit clients. I mean, I, we've had recent cases where was, our view was all right. Well, the non-compete would be hard to enforce, but we typically we have a good chance. To, to stop them from soliciting our clients. And we've had judges saying, no, this is just, we don't want to force this. This is, you're coming off a of COVID world. We have the FTC, you know, possible ban in place. We, not even a not solicit is going to work. So it's already hard enough. we just have to be mindful of that climate. So when we draft these agreements, we really got to keep them, you know, uh, we got to keep them as really as narrow as we can. And, and even then it's, it's it's going to be, uh, difficult. I guess the degree of difficulty will be, depend on uh, on what the FTC comes comes down with. But you're right. Me, yeah.
1: And another interesting point of this ban is that it applies to both current uh, agreements with employees that currently work for you, and also agreements for employees that have left your employment. So there are some steps that are written into the proposal of how an employer has to notify past employees that their agreement is now null and void if this rule were to pass. So it is quite interesting to follow along with. It will be a lot of work for employers if it does get passed. Um, And we're just gonna have to see what happens and how those steps have to be implemented and in what time frame employers have to um, uh, find and alert all of these past employees that their agreements are now null and void.
0: Right. So. Yeah, it's, it, it's it's tough times, slippery slope, but as usual, we here at the Employment Hollow are there for you. We'll be there for you every step of the way. Keep listening in, and we will uh, we'll keep you updated as we can on this, on this topic.
1: Absolutely. That's what we're always here for.
0: All right. So now we are at my personal favorite segment of the podcast, Water Cooler Talk. That's what it's all about. In fact, it's appropriate here because we talked about the NRA, right, and, and, and Section 7 rights and the, the idea that employees should be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about around the water cooler. They don't want to chill water cooler talk, but here at the podcast, the Employment Huddle podcast, that's what we do. We, we talk. love
1: water cooler talk love, at the Employment Huddle. Right.
0: We don't want to chill. That's what we do here. So, I'm thinking we should talk about spring, right? I mean, we're almost done with winter. It's been a pretty mild winter here in New York. Uh, we're not out of the woods yet, but spring training's here. Baseball season's on the horizon. Staying lighter out later.
1: Yes, Day- which is my favorite part.
0: Daylight savings around the corner. Can't wait. So I think we should each talk about what we're planning to do, if anything, as nice, nicer weather comes upon us.
1: Definitely. I've, I am counting down the days um, till the days get lighter, stay lighter for longer when we leave the office and the sun is still out. Um, it's kind of getting into that rough period of time where it's been dark for too long and I need some sunlight. I gotcha. Right. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to being able to spend more time outdoors as the weather gets a little warmer um, and it stays lighter for longer Maybe a little post work run in the neighborhood. Nice. Getting outside, doing some exercising outside, um, just, you know, enjoying that sunshine. I'm so ready for it. Um, And something else that I'm very much looking forward to is the return of outdoor dining. Nice. That is something that I love as a byproduct of COVID. Um, Maybe one of the between work from home and outdoor dining, maybe the two only good things to come from COVID-19. Right. Um, so we have to find the bright side where we can, right, in those I, dark times. Yep. But outdoor dining is something that I very much enjoy. I like seeing what restaurants can do and be innovative with their outdoor space. And I think it's just a fun thing to do and get outside.
0: I agree with you. Being outside makes you feel so much better. So for me, all right, so for those of you who don't know, I grew up playing a lot of tennis, played at Tulane, played my whole life, and after 20 something years of...
1: That was very humble of you. That was You just kind of flew that under the radar that you played Division One tennis for college, right?
0: Yeah, well, I just wanted to set the stage a little bit where this has gone. okay? So I, I, I played some tennis down at Tulane, played my whole life. After my last match at Tulane, I literally took my rackets and I put them in the garbage can. I was done. I did not want to play any more tennis after... 20 whatever how many years and I didn't pick up a racket again for like another 20 years and I still didn't like it <laughs> so, so I'm so i like you know what all right I'm kind of sad but I'm kind of not that into it now I found my thing pickleball I'm so into pickleball I've it's, got, it,
1: it's it, the latest trend it's, it, it's a craze it's a craze and I'm so into it
0: I love it it's a great workout It's much more enjoyable. And the best part about it are the the difference in levels doesn't matter as much. You could still get out there and enjoy playing with people of different levels. Like, for instance, my wife, Lisa, right? Good athlete. Pretty good tennis player. Pretty good pickleball player. We can get out and enjoy. Could she really compete with me on a tennis court? No. But Pickleball, we can we can play. And I just think that's true of all ages, and it's just easier. It's a paddle ball. It's a wiffle-like ball. The court's not as big. The net's smaller. In whatever iteration of your game, you can enjoy it. So I am thinking I've played a decent amount so far. I'm thinking to take it to the next level. What does that mean? That means getting in shape, maybe playing some tournaments. Really doing playing some pickleball, taking pickleball to the highest levels I can at my age. I, I, I'm, you know what? I think it's always good to reinvent yourself. So I'm going to try. With, with, with the weather getting nicer, that's my goal. Uh, I'm going to be out there and play, play some pickleball. It's You know, I've,
1: I've never actually played pickleball. Maybe in, you know, in, in gym class no, back in the day? No, so didn't. Did it exist then? No,
0: it didn't even exist. I, I mean, technically it existed. I think it was invented in the 1960s. So you probably didn't play in gym class, but maybe you played some paddleball. I mean, any,
1: anyone maybe.
0: anyone who's mildly coordinated. and I'm not sure what that Smith will you fall into that bucket, but you can enjoy playing. Can enjoy <laughs> <laughs> Can enjoy, play, can enjoy play some pickleball.
1: Do you think we should maybe take the employment huddle on the road and and play some pickleball? And then report back. We could do that.
0: We could try. We, we we we. That's not a bad idea.
1: I think that that might be the start of, of maybe the Western Ball Pickleball Tournament. We should try this out.
0: Listen, what you never know where it'll take us. The bottom line is, I like it. I like getting out there, all levels. It's good workout, and I'm hoping to uh, make my way as a as a pickleball player. That's my goal for the spring, 2023, and to avoid injury.
1: Most That's important. that is key. No most injuries. Most important. We need you in tip top shape.
0: I gotta be ready because all these laws are changing. I gotta be on my game, right?
1: I, I gotta bring it every That's day. That's it. We need a healthy mind and a healthy body.
0: That's it. I love it. So I think our spring goals are pretty good.
1: Yep. I'll be eating outside, and you'll be playing pickleball.
0: <laughs> um, how about this? I'll play some pickleball, and I'll meet you outside for dinner and a drink.
1: Perfect. So
0: we will see you at the next employment Huddle podcast. As always, thank you very much for joining us. Samantha, have a great day. Thank you,
1: have a great day.